0: Alright, welcome everybody to Faith and the Fast Life with Fast Life Ministries. I'm Nick Ordorf and I got Ben Kaysen with me here today. Today we are gonna run down the story of me. Interesting as that may sound. Hold on tight, everybody. It's gonna get wild up in here. So mm-hmm. um, what's Nick Ordorf's story? Why are we here? What's the fast life all about? Um, brief up for you: the Fast Life, uh, Fast Life Ministries, Ministry I created to go back into this world. Um, we uh, I felt like God put it on my heart. Uh, I didn't grow up in faith, mm. um, but I found the Lord about four years ago. I'm a alcoholic addict who is in recovery. I've seen the dark side. I've lived the dark side. I've lived the lie. I've searched for gratification and inspiration from the world and came up empty over and over and over again. Um and so today we're going to, uh, in, you know, embellish that a little bit and just uh, let everybody know that what we're here for and why we're here. So, um, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I, uh, it took me 35 years to figure it out. Um, and then really in 2017 I got saved and, and things just got better and better and continue to get better and better when you have, when you have faith, um, faith in God and just walking with Christ has uh, been incredible for me wasn't always like that for me. You know, I grew up in a house, um, a great family, great house, you know, successful parents are still married to this day. Um, I definitely say my parents have been a great example of what a good marriage looks like. Mm. Um, and so later on in my life when it didn't go the same path, it kind of made it even harder on me. Um, so we could go for hours on my story. Um, I'll give the brief rendition today. So uh, grew up with a a, a good family. Um, my brother, uh, very successful, very smart. Um, great parents. Grew up in a business. Um, sold motorcycles as a kid. My my mom and dad did on a motorcycle business. We've moved into boats, and we still do boats to this day. Just um, part of that going fast, that fast life, right? So I always grew up uh, riding BMX bikes, skateboards, you know, wakeboards, kneeboards, snow skiing um, anything that went fast, Mm. um, played hockey, um, and always had a great childhood. Like I didn't do without, like we had everything we ever needed. And and then some, our parents took good care of us. I wouldn't say spoiled. I, I still think my dad daily that he taught us work ethic. He taught us how to work hard. And that's, uh, one of the best things that he's ever given me is the ability to work hard. Um, and to not just hand us everything. Like we had to work for our things, which is it was good for us. I didn't always have that same work ethic. You know, my high school years, it wasn't hard. And when I, when I moved into the restaurant industry is when it really became good. But, mm-hmm. you know, we did well without. So I think often that when you look at a drug addict or a alcoholic, people say, well, you know, once again, it gets stereotyped. It's kind of like Christians get stereotyped, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why we're here to break down that stereotype. Like uh, you can be a good Christian and – um come from a really bad past Um, my youth wasn't bad my childhood wasn't bad um, but somewhere along the way I went from chasing the adrenaline of the BMX bike the motorcycle the hockey whatever it was chasing that next big jump that next you know body check into the boards sure whatever it was chasing that thrill um, to chasing a high whether it was alcohol or whatever it was and um, I really got into the rave scene at about 17 or 18 years old. A lot of my friends had moved to Denver and were DJs and um, you know, I couldn't see it then but uh, you know, it was probably the wrong place for me to head towards. Mm -hmm. Um, Drugs were all over the place. I mean, that's what we did. You know, we did drugs and partied all night and danced and so I say dance, it's so funny to say dance because I'm not a good dancer <laughs> like at, at all. Hmm. Like I have two left feet, but somehow I'm in a rave dancing. So probably from the drugs, I guess. Um, but you know, those were all those doors were open at that point in time. Um, didn't really know where I was going to go. I didn't do college. Um, I did get into the restaurant industry. Um, learned to work hard through the restaurant industry. God. My dad had instilled work ethic, but restaurant industry really taught you to work hard. You got to keep moving. You got to go, you know, the more you hustle, the more you earn. Sure. Um, and that was good for me. But the other side of that was is afterwards, you make all this cash, you go blow all this cash at the bar, uh, end up doing cocaine, you know, whatever, whatever it was like, we we're going fast. It's the fast life. The um, Fast life can have so many different meanings. I have a, a great friend that's an orthopedic surgeon. He probably lives one of the fastest lives I know of. I mean, a yeah. man has to be perfect, you know, in perfection all the time because that's what is demanded of an orthopedic surgeon. When they replace your knee, he better be perfect, right? So yeah. there's that type of fast life. There's the fast life of racing cars, racing motorcycles, racing that. There's the fast life of uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, and rock and roll. Um and in a lot of ways, I've lived a version of all of them. You know, even right now to this day, I'm, uh, you know, I run a business. We're a very successful business. Um, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to um, take that over from my parents who left my brother and I a great foundation that we've been able to build off of and just create something amazing. Um and it's fast between that and the ministry and the podcast and the kids you know our beautiful children like sure we're running fast so um all that comes back from uh you know the days and 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 what we went through to get there so i at um i think i was 21 years old and i had just finished i went to college to get my EMT uh, i wanted to be a fireman so ever since i was a little kid i wanted to be a firefighter mm-hmm. Um, and hats off to all the firefighters and first responders and everybody that have been doing all these amazing things over this last year and what they've had to be part of is uh, is pretty incredible. So I, I, my prayers out to them and and what they've experienced this year. Um, I was uh, I can remember some some morbid stuff and and I remember nine eleven happening. And uh, my buddy Ben here is too young to remember nine eleven. But I remember having this like twisted thought of I, that I could I could literally go to New York and have a job right now.
1: Hmm.
0: I think that's the first time I ever said that, but I remember thinking that I wasn't you know it was sad to me that these people died in this thing, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like maybe we got for me, so that's part of our life, like you spend your whole time in the world going me, me me me, me, what's in it for me, sure. When you give your life to Christ, you kind of turn it around the other way, and you say, "Well, what's in it for God? You know, what can I do to benefit Him?" So that's how my fast life roles change in a little bit. But sitting there, watching that, I guess it kind of motivated me a little bit more to go deeper. So I started taking fire tests. Uh, I got hired on rural fire, then I got hired on city fire. Um, all this the my girlfriend at the <laughs> time had a. Uh, we gotten pregnant, and uh, my, my daughter Riley was born in 2003. Um, I got on city fire about six months later, and it was really like that time that you kind of put your um, – <clears throat> like a, I, for a moment I put the past behind me. You know what I mean? All of a sudden yeah. my, my image was this upstanding citizen of uh, – you know, I have a child – I'm a dad now, and I'm a firefighter now. Like that was like it. Like that was amazing, right? Like I'd made it. I was twenty, twenty-three years old when I got on City Fire. Um, it's a pretty big deal. It's tough to get on, you know. Yeah, I said hats off to those guys. It's tough to get on fire departments. Um, so I was blessed. I mean, as part of the plan. I thought, you know, and at this time, I think it's important for everybody to remember, like, um. I was, I didn't grow up in church. The only church background that I ever had was uh Catholic church with my grandparents. Mm. Um, when I would stay with them in Colorado Springs, um, you know, they'd take me and I just remember always wanting to play with the pews that folded down in front of us. Like they had the ones that they down. So they'd kneel down and pray. And yeah, I just always wanted to play around on that. Like I didn't really know what was going on. It, um, my grandmother always said that she baptized me. Um, You know, baptized Catholic, but we didn't have a background. You know, Sunday was a family day. We went and did outdoor activities or whatever it was. Um, But it wasn't church-based. It wasn't faith-based. You know, I had an idea. I think I'd I'd say I always believed there was something greater than me, and I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Mm. So I didn't really have that background. So now I'm a firefighter. I'm living the world. I'm the dream, like, you know, puffing my chest out. So... I always thought that it was the right thing to do to get married um, mm. because we had the child. Um, and I thought that was the right thing to do. I now clearly see that that woman was never right for me. She was never meant for me. Um, and we got married for all the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, thought it would be the best for the child, but really wasn't. Um, not too long into the marriage, um, You know, things aren't going well. You know, I went out to the bar with friends one night, and um, it it wasn't like we were ever on the same page, really. Um, It seemed good, but I I really see now that there was never really any happiness in it. Um, Shortly after, some things, you know, happened, and, and, uh, you know, she has another relationship. She has another boyfriend. We're basically, like, cohabitating a house, um, and I find out that she is using Oxycontin, which led to heroin, um, tried to help her through it. But at the same time there was this, uh, um, I had another gentleman on the fire department that had been let go because of, uh, some stuff. And and his wife was, uh, also a heroin addict. And so it was like this big, like embarrassment, couldn't say anything. And then because of my background, you know, like in your head, you're going, well, man, like, what if, what if she tells them that, um, I was an addict, you know, we're actually, I wasn't an addict at that point. Um, What if she tells him that I've done cocaine? What if she tells him that I've done ecstasy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can lose my job. So like, there's this fear. It's like you get trapped in this corner of, you can't do anything about it now. So I'm embarrassed because I'm a firefighter. My wife's addicted to heroin, you know, um, I'd come home from the fire station and, uh, my, my daughter who would be three or four at the time is awake and moving, but her mom's still sleep sleeping. And so I would get my daughter and I'd take her out to breakfast or whatever. And then it's yeah. been 48 hours with her. And then my wife wouldn't come home. So I'd have to call my mom to come get my daughter when I went to work. It's just a bad place to be in. And you just kind of stick yourself in this rut. Mm and i don't know what part of the inspiration of this will come out for other people who are listening but i hope that there's people out there that are stuck right now and and that they can find the fact that i think if i would have had jesus it would have been totally different mm-hmm. but i was stuck in a rut for a long time and it was the same old i'm afraid i don't want anybody to know you know my wife's addicted to heroin my relationship is terrible I knew it wasn't good for my child but would continue to do it and ultimately I never learned to talk about my feelings. So ultimately what happened is I would just bury those feelings deep down and then come out in another way. Hmm. And it started as coming out in alcohol. Um so it went from being gone for 24 hours at the fire department to um you know being at the department for 24 hours and then I would come home and basically drink for 48 hours. Mm. And then I go back to the fire department for 24 hours. Um, and I wasn't good, but I was bearing, I was, I was escaping what I was feeling um, through the alcohol, which led to deeper drugs, which led to all the other stuff. um, So, I had ridden this high, right? I was a firefighter. I was up on top of the world. I had a child. I'm a dad. I'm a firefighter. But then when things went bad, I didn't have a basis to fall back to. right? I didn't know where to go. Uh, so I turned to the wrong things. Um, 2009, um, I was going to be terminated from the fire department. Um, at this point, I'm alcoholic. I'd missed work. I'd burned all my sick days. Like, you name the excuse, the thing, the everything. Like, when I was there, I was pretty good, but I was not the person that I was when I started or my first, you know, four or five years on the job. Yeah. You know, I, I consider myself pretty good. Once again, it was a thrill. It was a rush. It was a high, you know, kicking indoors and, you know, saw some things on the fire department too um, that I think link into all of this. Um, you know, I saved a little boy out of a fire on the east side um, about six months after being on the job. And you think that'd just be like this, wow, like that feels so good. That's so amazing. But it really kind of messes with you, you know, mm. um, saw some stuff, you know, my first, uh, my first 10 shifts, um, on the floors, they call it, we had nine structure fires and 10 shifts. So, like, wow. Captains thought I was a black cat. And I, <laughs>
1: every, every time you're scheduled.
0: Every time I was scheduled, there's something going to happen. So,
1: um,
0: all that stuff led up to it. And at the time, I don't think they had a very good PTSD program. So I wasn't good at dealing with things. And and you know what? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. you look back and say, had this been done differently, but I think the key to, to growing and maturing and, and you know, even the faith and, and it, it's taking responsibility for your actions. You know, uh, most addicts and alcoholics are stuck in, um, Good friend Rory, uh, he says, victim stance, mm. right? Stuck in a victim stance. I'm a victim. You did this to me. They did this to me. They all did it to me. Well, I lived that for a long time. You know, it's my fault I became an alcoholic. It's my fault that I got fired from the fire department. You know, like, I did that. You know, because, sure, there's other things. There's other factors that are contributing to it. But those are the decisions I made to go down that road. Um, so... Fire department, about five years, I get let go in 09. I go start bartending for a while. I'm full-blown alcoholic at this point. Yeah, how'd how'd you
1: deal with getting fired from the fire department?
0: I Like I dealt with everything else, Ben. Drink, drink more. Mm -hmm. Um, It just meant I could drink seven days a week now. You know, Um I did like when we actually went and we sat with the city attorney and the union president and all that stuff, and they said they were going to terminate me. I did have the wherewithal to say I would rather resign. um, Because then at some point in time, if I ever wanted to go back to firefighting, I could use it as a resume boost and go somewhere else. Yeah. So that might have been from God. You know, I I look back on things now. I wasn't a believer then, but you see how he plans out our lives and the things he does and uses the scars we have. to help heal others. Um, I think that could have been a moment for him. Like he knew there was something bigger. There was some other plan in it. Um, so that was November of Oh nine that I resigned forced res resignation from the fire department. Um, I bartended for a while and then, um, my dad asked me to go back to work at the boat shop. So I'll go back to, to the shop and, um, 2010 March of 2010, I went back to work at the boat shop. Um, couldn't even start at the bottom. As I was helping people up front. I was helping the back. I was just doing whatever was needed. I'm still a full-blown alcoholic. I mean, I literally had, um, we call them fatorades. Um It was Gatorades, and I'd, they'd have vodka in them, and I'd have them all the time. I, mean, I was drinking all the time. Like, I mm-hmm. had to have it. Um, somewhere through that summer of 2010, um we went to the bar after work, and as I raised a glass of Crown Royal to my mouth, like my hand shook the whole way. And I set it back down, and I went, whoa. I think that was like the aha moment of, you're an alcoholic. Like my hand wouldn't stop shaking until I had the drink. And so alcohol, you know, you do cocaine because you got too uh, too drunk. That would help sober you out. Um, you know I was uh, probably one of the toughest parts you know my daughter was there I, I, I uh, she was there through all of it and it was still this mess of her mom living in the house and like just this complete utter terrible like it should have just cut it early and been out of it all right like it was crazy um, can't even believe we lived like that uh, her mom's uh, uh, doing drugs I'm drinking and doing drugs. Um, you know, I got Riley to school, got her where and and uh, blessed to have a good family that helped take care of her. Um, finally, it all boiled to a head, and I hired a lawyer, and, um, you know, we got divorced. And mm. in the long run, the, uh, um, you know, everything worked out the way it was supposed to on that end. And then 10 days later, I decided that I was going to quit drinking. Um, I think this is another God moment that I didn't see then, but I had put Riley to bed and um, I went downstairs and I made a drink and it was the last drink. I remember being at vodka and cranberry and I drank the drink and afterwards, I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I load her up in the car and take her to the liquor store or do I leave her sleeping and run to the liquor store real quick? Mm -hmm. And ultimately I said, this is ridiculous like everything you need is right here yeah you know I'm done and um it was rough it was uh I couldn't sleep at all that night um, the next morning I dropped Riley off at school I called my mom and I said hey I'm coming to your house I'm gonna quit drinking but it's gonna be rough I don't feel good you need to get all the alcohol out of your house because if it's there I'll drink it and uh I mean, the just the 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 nastiness of it um, just felt so sick. Um, dry heaving the whole nine, and ultimately ended up having a, a grand mal seizure. Um, mm. I had a seizure at my parents' house. They called nine one one. The ambulance came. I still remember the firefighter stuff. Um, wanted to put me on the stretcher and take me, and I I denied. So in the fire world, they, uh, um, there's a couple questions when you try to deny um, transport. One of them is, how many quarters are in $3.50? Mm. Remember, I was a firefighter for like six years. So I knew these answers pretty well. Sure, because you've been asking them. And, yeah. Yeah. How many quarters are in $3.50, Ben? 14. Ben's, Ben's a smart kid. Um, Spill <laughs> world backwards.
1: D-L-R-D-L-O, No. E l r o w.
0: Good stuff. Those are those are the questions they yeah. ask you. Like sure. So I refused, and afterwards, after they left, I did say, "Let's go ahead and go to the hospital." Um, you know, coming to find out afterwards, after I went to the the first treatment, um, the uh, um, man, where was I going with that? Oh, I I can find out that um, alcohol is the only. Withdrawal that you can die from, really? Because the grand mal seizure. So I had a doctor explain it to me. It's like you've been suppressing your brain with a, like a straight jacket with alcohol, and then all of a sudden you stop drinking, and you take the straight jacket off, and so everything goes crazy. Um, so I was hearing voices, all these things, and ultimately had a seizure and took me to the hospital. I did some outpatient treatment after that, and uh, I was sober for about six months. You know, they talked about alcohol. I never went back to alcohol. I haven't had a drink of alcohol since um, December 11th of 2010. Uh, I haven't had alcohol. So uh, it's a pretty long time. That's over 10 years now. Um, Six months completely sober, and then good old marijuana, you know, marijuana maintenance program. um, Started drinking that, and uh, I'm sorry, started, started smoking marijuana. It's tough to. Know. They probably do have it in a drinking form at this point. I'm right? sure they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, uh, started smoking marijuana, and then so I could always take take or leave marijuana. So, you know, I could smoke it once and not smoke it for a month. I could smoke it seven days in a row and not for the rest of my life. Um, so I figured, you know, cocaine would probably be okay. I mean, I could take it or leave it too, right? Well, it didn't work out quite that way. It uh, grabbed a hold of me in a big way. I was fully functioning, way more functioning than I ever was on alcohol, obviously kind of opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I could continue to go to work. And um, in that work life, it was the me, 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 me show, right? Like I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to make more money. I wanted to do this. I wanted to grow the company. And and I pushed hard for all of that. Um, We grew the company. We grew the brands we sell. We uh, really uplifted, I think, 24 maybe that's jumping a little bit too far ahead. We took on a different brand of boat that we hadn't sold before and we crushed it with those. And it was all kind of to get the approval of my parents and, uh, you know, show how great I was. Mm. Um, the whole time there's still the cocaine habit fueled behind it. Um, cocaine habit becomes too much. Um, I, uh, was, was ruining relationships in my life. Um, it was still there for my daughter doing the things that we needed to do and, and getting her where she needed to be and doing those kind of stuff. But it was kind of like this in the closet habit, right? Like it wasn't like a, at least I thought nobody knew. I'm sure there were some people that knew, but it was uh, it was hidden. It's living in the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see it now, like it's just totally living in the darkness the whole time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it boiled to head in 2013. I, I went to treatment. Um, Went to a thirty day rehab program. Um, it was an amazing program. Um, I learned a ton of things. I learned I learned about diet. I learned about um important things about diet, things you don't think of like uh, you know, refined sugars and all this stuff is so terrible for us. Our bodies don't they don't even know what to do with it. So it just gets stored as fat. Um, I came out of that program lean and mean and feeling 100%, but the, I think one of the problems was is, is why I relapsed even one more time was that when I quit drinking in 2010, I got so sick that I never wanted to feel that sickness ever again. Mm. Um, so I stayed away from it. Uh, but cocaine, I didn't really feel sick, right? Like it just actually, what's crazy about it is you actually feel better. Like you feel better, you're healthy. Mm. Um Everything was going good, you know almost a about a year of sobriety, I think, um maybe a little bit more and then sometime i got I got back into playing men's league hockey, which was huge for me, like that was a ton of fun, yeah, doing good something happens I used again, ended up tearing my shoulder uh playing hockey, got into an argument um the whole time I'm living in this situation that uh I've lived in my house in Belmont and right across the street is a drug dealer. You know, and I knew it. I, I, with, I was able to avoid it for a good period of time. Um, but, uh, after that incident happened at work, kind of got in an argument, went home, I pulled in my driveway and like perfectly orchestrated by, by. It, I mean, this just has to be the work of the enemy. Um, this guy pulls in his driveway at the same time. It says, "Hey Nick, it's been a been a while. I haven't seen you. Like, how are you doing?" I'm like, oh, "I'm good." And he goes, "You need anything?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I do. Like, just like that, like flip of a switch, and boom, there it was. And uh, it grabbed me again. And uh, went through shoulder surgery, and uh, you know, it got it got deeper and deeper. I didn't do painkillers this the sol- shoulder surgery because I would have been addicted to those too. I, I know that. I won't do painkillers. I won't do that stuff, but cocaine helped me get through that completely um, the wrong way. And then... Um,
1: so, like, where where was your head at then with, with in, this, in this part? Because, like, you've already overcome it a few times. I'm sure that you've got some pride about getting over it and going through treatment, and then you go back into it. Do you have... Is it not a big deal to you at that point, or is it something that you're... Like
0: No, that's a great question, Ben. Like it's a it's this this pit of darkness is what it is. Mm. So it's shame, it's guilt. Um it's not that at least for me, and I imagine most addicts out there are like this, it wasn't that I didn't care. But um addicts' brains are wired differently. Mm. Like once you've once you've been there, like it actually changes the chemical makeup in your brain. I remember watching a video on this. Um I can't remember the name of that video, but it's a great video. Um but uh it actually you actually wired different. So it doesn't take much. They call it the sleeping dragon, right? Like you can be sober for so long and then you use again and all of a sudden like like it's it's that much harder. Like it grabs you harder the next time. So um mm. uh, where my head was when I have now relapsed again. So, you know, 2010 quit drinking, do good for a while. Go back to it, you know, not drinking, but just replacing the, yeah, you know, escaping the feeling, escaping feelings. That's what it's all about. You're running from what you're actually feeling. Um So I, I escape the feelings. 2013, I fail again. I'm going out. I, I get treat or I get treatment. 2013, and I go good for a little while. And now I'm back into it again. And so now, like, now it's already come out, right? So I think it's even worse this time. Because mm-hmm. I did, I had that pride for a while of, yeah, I over, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I was an addict, I've overcome it. That's who I am, and so like you're kind of telling that lie, you're telling that story about, yeah, no, I'm sober, I'm sober, I'm sober. Yeah, no, I'm
1: sober, you I've been sober say, for a long time. Yeah, I'm clean, I'm, I've oh, been yeah, clean for I'm a clean long time,
0: sober. But you're lying the whole time. So you're and you're telling yourself a lie, and ultimately, um, you just keep digging yourself a pit of lie after lie after lie, and you're deeper and deeper and darker and darker and darker. And darker. Um, it's exactly where Satan wants you to be, mm. he wants to trap you so i've I've dug myself into a whole nother trap um I wasn't sure how I was gonna get it when we sold the house in Belmont. we actually moved in with my parents for a while until we were gonna figure something else out um
1: and then we in this situation is you and your daughter, correct
0: me and my daughter, yep, yep um and so sold the house, you know, I'm still using you know it's uh, it's literally an in the closet addiction at this point in time. Um, it, uh, 2015 comes around, uh, springtime starts. I see this girl on Facebook, you know, I am a full blown cocaine addict at this point. Nobody really knows. Like I said, I'm sure. Some people knew, but it's a complete in the darkness addiction. You know, I, I'm not going out to parties at people's houses and doing cocaine. I've been doing cocaine privately in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in my bedroom, like complete solitude. Um it's kind of gross when you look at it, but you know, it is what it is. It's my story and uh bigger things will come from it. Yeah. Um I meet this girl on Facebook, I message her. She messages back. Um we talk a little bit. She had just gotten out of a relationship, so I kinda like I'm like, Okay, cool, like she needs space. So I just kind of pulled away from her and gave it a couple months or whatever. And then I hit her back up and we went on some dates and, um, I knew right away, um, that there was something special. Like We went to the drive-in, right? We didn't even watch the movie. You know, and it wasn't, hmm. it wasn't like we were like sitting in the back of the truck, like making out. Like we just talked, wow. talked and talked and talked and talked about everything and about nothing for, you know, two hours um and i just felt this this connection um that was just something like greater like i just i just like was like wow like yeah you know, the power of facebook like i can't even hardly get on facebook anymore it's like i'm in the middle of fasting it for 40 days right now like yeah. just stay off all social media but um facebook helped me find my wife um and i i believe that she was an angel sent sent by the lord to help me right so we go on these dates. We've been, we're going, we're dating. We're dating for a couple months, three months, whatever it is. Like, I know that I love her. Like, I knew right away. Um, <clears throat> I think she did too, but I don't know if she'll admit it or not. Um,
1: and you were still addicted through this process, right?
0: Still addicted. So, um, I think she loved me, but she'd struggle to get too close because she could feel something was off. Uh, my wife has this uncanny ability to be able to breed people. Mm. Um, and, like, she feels something in them. And I don't even you don't know if she fully understands what she feels sometimes, but, like, if a person is has bad intentions, it's like that's, like, one of her gifts is that empathy for them and, like, be able to feel it. She's like, okay, like, this isn't good. So I think she wanted to get close, but she couldn't fully. Um, you know, having a cocaine addiction that's in the dark is, uh, you know, a lot of excuses I came up with with why I couldn't meet her or why I couldn't do that because I was essentially cheating on her with, cocaine um i had another agenda i had other things that had to do that involved that and uh so we couldn't get that close um and uh so it was it, it it was a strain for sure um it made it really really tough and at some point like ultimately i felt like i needed to um tell her and when I did that, like I fully thought that she was just going to be gone. Like mm. that she would uh, be running out the door, you know, never turn back. Um, and I told her. And ultimately, she she didn't squeal out her tires in the driveway and you know, take out the mailboxes on the way down the street. She said, all right, well, what do we need to do next? And, uh, and she's told me since we've talked about it. I mean, it, it devastated her. But something made her stay. Something... Mm something bigger than us later today. So now that she knew, she she asked me, you hey, know what do we do next? I said, let me get through the month of September. Um there's a lot of big things going on with business in the month of September. Um and I said after that I'll go check into rehab. Um I'd been there before. I knew the process, right? And I think a lot of addicts out there like they become habitual uh addicts or not even habitual. That's a, I think the right word I heard once was career addicts. Hmm. They're career addicts because they know the system. You know, they know exactly what to do. They know when they hit that rock bottom, they can bounce out and do this and be good for a little while, and they go, they just go right back through the system over and over and over again. Mm. So I knew the routine, but now I felt like I had a better, bigger reason. Um, so my wife's living in, well, my girlfriend at the time, is uh, living in a, a duplex um, that we considered buying and um I would stay the night over there sometimes and she would just pray over me as I slept. Usually so, it had gotten so bad at this point that, you know, I mean, there was a lot of nights like you didn't sleep at all. You know, you're just going, 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 like the cocaine has you going. I mean, we were doing I was doing a lot of cocaine at this point. It's a really bad habit. Um, you know, large, large amounts. Um, and so like when I'd stay at her house, I wouldn't do it. But I would basically be coming down off of all of that. So, like, we might get through a whole movie before I fell asleep, but then I'd just, like, pass out. And I would sleep for 10, 12 hours. Wow. And she'd pray over me. So my wife always, she had this basis behind her. You know, she did grow up in church. She had uh, aunts and uncles and stuff that she'd go to church with. and they. So she had that foundation in her. And she had strayed away herself, and it wasn't like she was a, You know, she has her own testimony, her own great story, and we'll have her on here someday. But, um, she, uh, she prayed over me, prayed over me and prayed over me. And she didn't really tell me that. And I think I knew she was doing it, but like, I didn't really understand it still. Like I hadn't found faith, you know? Yeah. Um, so we got through the month of September and October 5th. I checked myself into rehab, um, I did two weeks inpatient and two weeks outpatient. Um, this was the first time like that. I really, really, really dealt with the root. We dug down deep. What are the things that bother you? What are those feelings? I had stuffed down for all the time. I let go of the fire department stuff. I let go of certain things and and maybe not let go of certain things, but also started to understand certain things and why they made me feel that way. Mm. And it was okay. Um, but I was stepping out of the darkness, and while we were in there, I watched a movie I can't remember what this movie was. It was a movie that they played for us. Um, it was about a basketball player that became an addict. Um, and I felt like I, I remember calling Alexis and saying, "I feel like I'm supposed to help people. I feel like I'm supposed to do something. like I'm supposed to make a change." And for a long time like, I thought that uh, it was about opening a treatment facility and doing something different, and bridging the gap between you know, all the things that I love doing. You know, I talked at the beginning how we, we uh, you know went from chasing that adrenaline from the, the motorcycles, the bicycles, the hockey, the whatever it was, to chasing that drug high. I think that happens in a lot of people's lives. And so what my idea for a treatment center was is to take them and kind of introduce them to those activities introduce them to mountain biking and you know think of you know horseback riding uh you know i don't know go-karts like anything like Mm -hmm. you know wakeboarding wake surfing like go introduce them to those kind of things to see if you can you know give them a little piece of that adrenaline if you will healthy escape yeah Yeah. healthy escape exactly that's that's a great way to put it um so that was kind of the idea and I, i told her i feel like i'm supposed to do that and I come out of treatment in 15 and we spent 2016. I'm doing great. Like no issues. You know, I have a lot to live for. I now have a, you know, a great girlfriend and, um, you know, she had a daughter. We have a daughter. Like we are kind of mixing a family together. We're still not going to church. We're still not believers, but we're living in the world still. We're doing things a little bit different. We're doing it all backwards. Um, but then it, you know that makes you think: Is there ever really a right way? Uh, God has His hand in all things. I know that now. But um, I say backwards because you know we're living out of you know we're we're living together and not married and all these other things and we're we're blending our family. And we're doing our thing and things are going well. And I asked her to marry me um, in 2016. Um, we were in Las Vegas on top of the Eiffel Tower. And I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And so this whole time, like we'd, we we uh, um we had always joked around. This is gonna make more sense here in a few minutes, but we had always said if we could guarantee that we could have a boy, we would have a child of our own. Right? We had two girls. Yeah. You know, one from from my previous marriage, and one from her. Um, We'd love to have a boy, but we couldn't, right? So ask her to marry me. We're going to get married in October of 2017. Um, I proposed in October of 2016. Um, Somewhere around the beginning of 17, actually around the end of 16, we kind of start trying some churches, right? Uh, My wife says, I think we should start going to church. I don't know what really compelled her, but I'm like, "I'm, I'm into it. Like I had been going to AA meetings and stuff before that you know, about once a week just to kind of help solidify me and, and remember who I am. And, you know, the second you forget that you're an addict or an alcoholic is when you're already starting to open the door to go down that road again. Um, so I think it's important that you just remember. And I don't think you always have to be an addict, but don't forget where you came from. Sure. Um, so, um I said don't. Have to be an addict. You don't have to be labeled as an addict. You know the world looks badly at it. It's funny to me that uh, the world will look at. Yeah, it's like they cast this shame upon it, right? The name addict. Use the word term abortion. Talk about abortion. How do people, even church people, even Christians, like look like abortion? Like, we're gonna let that go, people. People are people. We're all God's people. So anyway, whole other story, <laughs> whole other podcast. Mm. Um, but so you don't have to live in that addict. Like you don't have to be labeled an addict and and it, but don't forget that you are, that you came from that and you overcame it. Um so we started attending these churches and we couldn't really find any place that is a hundred percent feels like home, you know, what to one that we're just kinda of like, man, like we're the youngest people in here by like a long ways. Sure. I mean, so
1: like yeah. I mean, like, like how, where was your head at whenever it came to going to churches? Like, was it like, Oh yeah, she's kind of dragging me along to this. I guess I'll come to make her happy. Or is it like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually interested in what these are presenting. Where was your head at in that?
0: You know, so I wouldn't say dragged along. Like I love my wife very, very much. And she was my wife at this point in time, but like I was, yeah. I was into it. Like I knew that it could be beneficial for me. Um, you got to remember, it's all new to me. Like, I mean, I think I, I went to a Christian preschool, but, like, it wasn't like I had, like, this good foundation of, of what Jesus really did for us. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. I think a lot of the world has no idea. Uh, it's just not taught the same anymore. Um, so I wasn't against it. I didn't feel like I was being dragged along. Um, I was happy to go because she wanted to. Um and I guess in some ways I wanted to too. Like, I thought it could be good for us. You know, AA teaches you a higher power. Um, you, know, you say the Lord's Prayer and, and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so I'm like, I know there's something bigger than me out there. Like, yeah, like this can be good. Like, if it's good for her, it's good for me. Like, we need this. Well, I try one church that, like, like, we were like the youngest people in there were like, 30 or 40 years at least, right? So I'm like, yeah, maybe that was not the right one. Then we tried another one, and it was a nice place, super busy church, and um, great team, great things. But for whatever reason, like the – I would, like, nod off and fall asleep. (laughs) Forget, I don't know if it was, like, the the pastor's voice or what it was about that, but my wife would be elbowing me the whole time trying to get me to wake up. Mm. And uh, it's not right, but it's true. Um, and then we, uh, actually her uncle invited us to go to praise on Easter of 2017. And, uh, that's been home ever since it just felt like home. And I think that, um, like we talked about in the intro, I don't think you have to have a, I think that church is awesome and the Bible wants you to have community, right? And that's what it's about is community. And, and having fellowship with others, you know, we weren't designed to be alone. Like, yeah. if we were designed to be alone, then then, then God would have never created Eve. Um, it'd just be a bunch of Adams running around. Um, but that's not how it's it supposed to be. So that's what he wants. But I think that you don't have to necessarily have that certain church. Um, and then so many people, as you start to get further in that, it's, uh, you know, Baptist catholic you know Protestant, whatever you are like it becomes a ford Chevy, dodge thing like which truck do you drive well my truck's better than your truck you know sure my dad's stronger than your dad you know like that old like schoolyard bs um find a church that works for you and go with it And, and and praise feels like home it still feels like home like i love the pastors i love my lead pastor i have lots of great friends in there it's great community um but I think it's really about having a relationship with Christ um, is the most important. And I think a lot of people, like in the world out there, like you can become. You don't want to go to church because of the fact that, um. If you're like me, like you know, I came from this darkness, and I'm like, how could these people ever love me? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how could how could God possibly love me? Like the things I've done. But He does is the crazy thing. Know, all I've been through. So we we went to church and we we turned it around and uh, um, shortly after being saved, which was around May, I think, May of 17,
1: mm.
0: very shortly after that, we found out that my wife was pregnant. Now, so somewhere in there that I kind of missed on this story. We had said, uh, we had talked about how if we could guarantee a boy, we would we would have more, right? Like we'd yeah. have a child. Well, we couldn't do that, so I went and got fixed. I got a vasectomy done,
1: mm.
0: which uh, means you're not supposed to have kids. Yeah. Well, we have Mason now. So Mason was a little miracle, I'll call him. Um, you know, I, there are odds out there that that those things cannot work, but after being tested, you know, they said, oh, no, you'll be good. Wow. We have Mason now. So um he's a little blessing. Uh, he's that boy that we always wanted. I believe he's a gift from God. Um and our faith gets deeper and our stories come out and we tell our stories to people. We tell our story in church. We uh you know, I didn't come from this background, I didn't run back to it. I'm finding it and unfolding it now new, you know, and it's it's led me into uh seminary school um where I will uh be licensed here soon, get my credentials, um, working on all of that stuff and ultimately put the Fast Life Ministries on my heart to go out into this world that I grew up in, go back into the extreme sports, the action sports side of things that we're still so linked to and just say, you know, where's your faith? Where are you? You know, Yeah. because ultimately God will meet you where you are um, and he's just waiting for you to open up his heart, open up your heart to him, right? So, um. yeah that's where we are now that's that's it in a nutshell
1: so you'd mentioned earlier kind of like in your times of alcoholism you made a comment about how if i was in christ at that point it wouldn't have been such a rut it would have been so hard i would have had more to draw on can you kind of talk to me about what now you can draw on what's the difference now that you are a christian compared to in the past never you were in those holes
0: you know i think uh it's not about me and it's the hardest thing for I'm sure anybody, but especially men, like men have egos. Sure. Right. Like I I had a huge ego. Like we touched on a little bit about, you know, 2012, we brought on that different brand of boat and, uh, um, I, I crushed it. Right. Well, after sobriety in 2013, um, 2014, I became the super salesman of the year. I won that award five years in a row. And it used to be all about I got to get that award. I got to stand up on that stage. I got to go show everybody how great I am. And now I don't even want that award. I want my employees to get that award. I want to see other people get that award so that I can be happy for them and let them feel a little bit of that. Um, And I think what it ultimately was is that. When you have Christ, you have something bigger than yourself, and you have something to go back to. So when things get bad, you pray. You get down on your hands and knees, and you know, even if you don't do that, you know, that's another thing that I, the Bible says in many places, and, and you fall to your knees to worship the Lord, but, you know, for people out there who, who maybe aren't, don't have the greatest prayer life or they're new to this, like just have a conversation with God. Just have a conversation. Start by walking through the day and saying, Lord, like help me through this situation. Lord, I need you with me. Just just try talking to them and see if see if things don't start to change. And then let that develop into something bigger. You know, it's uh there's so many things out there that stop people from getting closer because they think it has to be this way or it has to be like that. And then there's so many people that that judge the world. You know, so many Christians judge the world because of the way the world is. Um, and it doesn't have to be like that. You know, look at me, like I'm a, I'm a living, walking example, but things could have been different and I could have handled them differently because I would have had a foundation of where to go and an understanding that all things happen for a reason um, and know that God doesn't punish you know Jesus died on the cross for our sins um that doesn't mean we can continue to go on sinning uh, but we are all gonna <laughs> it's gonna happen we're gonna make mistakes yeah. and repenting on them and growing from it is that and i didn't realize that back then you know so i just felt that i was condemned to always do bad you know that no one could ever possibly love me well god loves every one of us so he sent his son to die for us mm-hmm. um and had I known that back then, then you have something else to dive into. Um, you don't look for outlets in other ways. Um, you know, I am second. A great ministry that's out there that that is about living second. You put God first in your life, and it's amazing how many things change. Um, I didn't know that. Like I said, it was me, 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 me. Woe is me. I'm a victim. You know, even you know your your highs are are never too high and your lows are always that much lower. It's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle of ego and, and self. Um, And then you have Christ. It's, it's selflessness, right? Which I still make mistakes. There's still times it becomes about me and and my wonderful wife will be like, well, Hey, is this about you or is this? And I go, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, like happens. Um, But things probably would have been a lot different if I would have had, Christ to go back to, the Bible to go to, even a church to go talk to, like a community, um, small groups. Like look into small groups. Maybe you don't want to go attend a church and go sit in the big church with all the people staring at you, but maybe there's a small group that f- you fit right into. Like, yeah. you know, so, so many different ways. So does yeah. that explain the question yeah. at all, or did I go all the way around the bush? No, I think
1: that helps. <sighs> yeah, yeah right, for but. sure. If, uh, if someone's listening to this and they're in that place that you were talking about where— you're stuck in a rut. You're hiding. You, you your mistakes that you're making. You're in a you're in a hole. From your experience, what do you think is the first step for them?
0: Well, I can. I mean, traditionally, with addiction and alcoholism, they say the first step is admitting you have a problem, right? So that's that. That's that first step. Um is admitting that you have a problem and admitting it to somebody else, you know, talking to a group, talk to a person, reach out to somebody, let somebody know. Uh, but to go further on that, I will tell you that when you live in the darkness, um, darkness can't exist in the light. Right. Mm. And one of the most freeing things in the world for me is my story. Telling this story Telling this here today and letting you know um, that I was an alcoholic addict. Um, you know, In fact, I, I feel compelled right now. I feel like the Lord's speaking to me right now. Like It it was deeper than that, and, and not even everybody knows all of this. But hand-in-hand hand with the cocaine addiction and the darkness, became, it also became a pornography addiction, which I hardly ever talk about. Mm-hmm. Because it's like this whole other twisted ugliness of it. But just me saying this right here, for the world to hear, um, as, as uh, hard as that was, like, it, this is how the light works, right? Like, we've been sitting here this whole time, and I'm talking about darkness and, and how I was living in the darkness, but I wasn't fully sharing all of it. So how do you get completely out of it? How do you step out of that darkness? You share it. You share your story and where you're stuck in the dark, and God shines his light in, and everything changes. Like, I feel more free right now in this moment by saying that. And we don't have to embellish on it. Maybe there's another episode where I can go more on it. But cocaine addiction and pornography addiction go hand in hand. And pornography in our world today is huge. It's overwhelmingly huge. It is um, it's terrible. It's, it's, uh, it's bad. It's it's just really, really bad. It's so against God that, you know, it's just ugly. And I was right there with that. Pornography, cocaine, alcohol. I was addicted to all of them. And I am thankful to say that, uh, you know, none of that is a part of my life anymore. And I don't share the pornography piece very often because it's uh, it gets a whole other twisted look at you, right? Yeah. Um, those things. And, and, hey, I just shared it. So... That's what it takes. If you're in the dark right now, if you were in the darkness and you can't see the light and you think it is hopeless and that nothing matters and you just keep digging a deeper hole, share it with somebody. There's people out there that care. Um, you know, email me Nick at com and say, I need somebody to talk to and I will gladly talk to you. Um, I will help you figure out what the next step is. You know, I've, I've tried many different steps. Um, you know, I had brief sobriety before. Um, and, uh, the one key ingredient that I have now that I didn't have and why I have over five years of sobriety now, um, is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Um, a firm foundation, a great relationship. Um, and a wanting and learning to, to learn more yet knowing that I'm not perfect and knowing that other Christians aren't perfect and pastors aren't perfect. Um, and that it's okay that I'm not perfect because God loves me for who I am exactly as he made me. Um, and that's what gets us through day to day, not being perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. I'll remind you of that. And, uh, just, just walk, walk the good walk, walk with Christ. Have a conversation with them. Absolutely. It makes a difference.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And how can people get connected with Fast Life Ministries?
0: You know, uh, www.fastlifeministries.com, uh, Instagram at Fast Life Ministries, YouTube Fast Life Ministries, Facebook, you know, all of those good uh, channels. On this podcast, we hope it's going to start going big. Um, like I said, Nick at Fast Life Ministries, N-I-C-K. If you have questions, you need help, anything like that, I'm I'm happy to guide you the best I can. uh, Be real with your story, be who you are, um, and try to find a relationship with Christ as it makes a difference. I'd say. Absolutely sweet.
1: Hey, thanks, Nick. I appreciate you, man. Yeah,
0: absolutely, Ben. I appreciate you too. Signing off.
1: Signing off. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Faith and the Fast Life. Keep your eye out for more episodes coming out in the fo- in the following weeks right here on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.